And now, Fastened Like Nails with Dr. Mark Hamby. Welcome to Fastened Like Nails and another episode in The Giant Killer. Yeah. Okay, so Colin and Molly, we're going to kill the third giant, mm -hmm. the giant of untruth. The giant of untruth, meaning like he's a liar. Lies, deception. Wants to uh, account for with this giant. Mm -hmm. um, I can't wait to people see the actual illustrated book. Mm. Did you see the one that she did for Untruth? Yeah, I think she's done the most with Untruth so far. And this one is incredible. Yeah, she kind of did this whole illustration of his castle, which we'll kind of learn a little bit more about that in the illustrated book. But it's incredible. I've never seen illustrations like this in my life. Mm -hmm. This, this, you know, I've always dreamt of doing something like Cinderella and mm. Billy Goat's Gruff and, you know, the, mm -hmm. um, you know, the old classics, you know, this, yeah. the Sir Knight, of, Sir, uh, Sir Knight. Sir Knight of the Splendid Way. <laughs> no. uh, Snow White, uh -huh. The Seven Dwarfs, you know, all of those classic books. The, the, some of the illustrations were just so mm -hmm. phenomenal. I remember them even now I mean, when my mother was reading them to me. But these illustrations are like a combination of, I don't know if I can describe it as like, you know, the old classics, a little bit of Disney, uh -huh. a little bit of, you know, our, our own type of brand. It's just, it's, it's, it's beautiful, but it is like intriguing. It makes you go in and see like the fine details. Mm -hmm. There's so many details in this mm -hmm. illustrations, in these illustrations that I, when I was looking at them the other day, I was like, wow, the detail, there's so many little minute details and the extraordinary color, mm -hmm. it just, yeah. it's going to cause children, I think, to just just look at these and, and, and observe and ponder. And then I think what it does, I think it's going to allow children to vicariously experience the story in a greater way. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, as a kid, if I was a kid reading these stories, I want to be able to kill these giants, you know? <laughs> and so a little, little child, he's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and he's learning about killing the giant of laziness or he's killing the giant of of untruth mm -hmm. or he's killing what was last week's killing the giant of selfishness selfishness mm -hmm. and so he's got siblings you know and he's mm -hmm. got to learn to kill that giant that he's being selfish to his mm -hmm. brother and sister he's got to he's lazy he's not doing his job of cleaning the the bedroom or taking out the garbage and mm -hmm. and throughout the day i think he's going to be thinking about killing these giants. There's definitely something to be said for the use of story as a form of teaching too because it's such a creative medium and like you even see with Jesus when he was talking to different people he would speak in parables and the story would kind of like vicariously allow, like you were talking about allow them to kind of put themselves in that position instead of saying like two plus two is four you know they're actually going in there and solving it for themselves and figuring out like oh you know it's that sh idea of show don't tell and they're learning as they're experiencing that which is really cool. Molly, that reminds me of what we do here at Lamplighter. Mm. Uh, stories are what teach. Stories are, like you said, what Jesus used. But stories, a well-crafted story, should captivate and cultivate a thirst for more. Mm. So if children are reading a story or reading a story to a child, mm -hmm. if it doesn't like, Mommy, don't stop there. Mm -hmm. you know, what's that uh, st um, that movie that came out, This Princess Bride? Mm -hmm. You know, the, in the beginning of it, you got the grandfather reading to his uh -huh. grandson, and then he just stops and says, oh, we'll just stop here. And, no, oh, no, no, keep reading, keep reading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you just told me recently, oh, who told me? Colin, you were telling me that um, our illustrator 
she's illustrating just one section at a time, uh-huh. and she's reading it to a little uh-huh. boy. Tell us about that, Molly. Yeah. Uh, so she sent an email uh, to us about this thing, this project that she's working on, and she's sending illustrations every Monday. And she said there's a student in her class, so she teaches seven through, I think it was 12th grade or something. Mm-hmm. And she said there's this one boy who usually, like, he's, you know, playing video games or just kind of, like, hanging out with his friends, really not into reading. But he'll she'll bring the story in and she'll read sections of it and then kind of show the illustrations that she's doing. And she said that this one boy is always super captiv- captivated when she's talking. And he'll actually keep her accountable, like, hey, you know, when can I see the next illustration and when when is the next story coming out or whatever. And she was so excited to see that because it was such a contrast to what – he was normally doing you know and so it was really cool to see it activating his imagination and for him to have that interaction with it there's a father down in um near albany new york his name is george and he's been was a regular tv watcher and you know he worked hard and came home he just wanted to watch tv and just chill right and then um, his wife attended a, a conference and i was speaking on um great life transforming literature and then I think what happened is that she went and got her husband the next day. And, you know, I, was, I told the whole story about how I was a non-reader and mm-hmm. hated to read. And then, you know, what God did in my life. And he bought, like, so many <laughs> Lamplighter books. <laughs> went home. I get a letter, like, three or four months later. Mm-hmm. And every Friday night, it's reading time, story time in his home. Aww. Friday night. And the, and the neighborhood comes over. And they, they have a choice between watching a movie or dad reading a book and they all choose dad reading a book and here's what makes the difference these are not just any kind of stories Mm -hmm. these are stories that will hold you on the edge of your seat so Mm -hmm. i was a non-reader until i was 22 i could read but i hated to read a literate and you know the the book that um, wait a literate yeah a literate is that i could read but i didn't want to read Oh, interesting yeah not illiterate Uh i could read you could read but you didn't yeah it's the same premise of um you know, Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, oh, yeah. the word amuse or amuse is the word a not and muse to think, not to think. Mm-hmm. And so for the most part, people are not thinking. And one of the reasons is that people are choosing, you know, videos and films and games over a book is because most books are boring. Or a book can do the opposite. A book can be extremely, you know, compelling and inviting but the truths that are being learned, actually what it does is it turns on a section in the brain that creates, you ready for this? This is scientifically proven, creates lust, Ooh. a lust for more that actually turns a certain chemical into an addiction in the body. So kids now get to get more and more of this. That's, that's what's happening with the dystopian literature of, of mm. this day, the Harry Potter literature. It literally creates a chemical release a dopamine release that's causing kids to like, I, I want more and more of this. The opposite of what happens with godly literature. Godly literature brings a fulfillment. There's a satisfaction. You don't want the story to end, but you feel extremely satisfied. That's why the three major words for the filtering of godly literature are found in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, which simply says, anything you read, all the books that you read need to be based on Words of delight, they need to delight your soul. Words of truth, and then words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then when, when children are reading those kinds of books, what it does, it brings a fulfillment 
that allows them to vicariously experience the story to where their worldview is being built. Their, their, the, the decisions that they make when faced with similar situations hmm. are now being cemented inside of their mind and eventually their soul mm-hmm. to where they're confronted with something similar like, okay, uh, you know, I remember the story. I know what he, I can do the same thing. I can do the same thing. My life, the decisions I make today predominantly are based on the Word of God and the stories that I've read that that kind of like back up the, what the Word of God teaches. Mm. And so, so let me just read this. I'm going to read this from, um, from a famous dissertation. No, it's not a famous <laughs> dissertation. It says this, um, a well-crafted story should captivate and cultivate a thirst for more, a thirst for more of God and his truth, his wisdom and his understanding. To satisfy this thirst of one's soul, and we're all soul thirsty, okay? Lot's righteous soul, mm-hmm. what happened to him? It was vexed. Vexed. And the word vexed means to be torn apart, tortured, or terrorized. His soul was being terrorized and torn apart because he was thirsting for what? Mm-hmm. More of Sodom. More of Sodom and Gomorrah. He loved it there. That was his home. Mm-hmm. And so even though he knew it wasn't right, this righteous man dwelling among them, it had already saturated his family. You know, mm-hmm. and so he's up a creek. They don't want to move. His wife wants to go back, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so this guy eventually compromises all of his convictions. And so his convictions, his worldview is no longer intact. The opposite happens to people who satisfy themselves or saturate themselves with stories based on words of delight, truth, and wisdom based on God's knowledge and God's truth. Mm-hmm. So watch this. So stories that lead the reader or listener to a knowledge based on eternal truths, what, what happens is it, it coalesces inside of them. It becomes a part of their soul. A work is being done inside that makes their soul thirst unquenchable for more of good things, things that, are the, things that are from above. But when you read and are involved in these other things that are ungodly, it becomes an unquenchable lust for more, a never-ending quest for answers that cannot be found apart from the knowledge of God and the belief, and here's the key, the belief that God is good and trustworthy. And even though circumstances may suggest otherwise, their worldview that God is good, works all things together for good, God keeps his promises, and God, though, will allow suffering so that it will change our character so we can experience his love. You know, so I think the belief that God is good and is trustworthy is foundational for stories. If a story does not have those first two truths in it, if God is not part of the story, if God's goodness is not part of the story, if God's promises or his trustworthiness is not part of a story, I would say I wouldn't waste my time. Let's unfold that a little bit. Molly? Ah, Colin. <laughs> would you like to unfold first? <laughs> <laughs> I put these two in a very precarious so position <laughs> because they're wide, they, they read wide and broad, and they, they read far outside of what I would read. And I'm not saying what they read is wrong. Yeah, actually, it is wrong. But besides that, no. Okay, so so let's let's talk about it. I'm talking about, guys, we have 70 years in, in our lives, give or take 10, okay, on an mm-hmm. average. Some of our children may not live that long. I, I want to give my children 
an appetite for what's eternal. I want to give them, so I want them to understand the knowledge of God before I give them a knowledge of anything else. Uh huh. I think I think it's hard to just kind of unpack it because there was so much information in there, and I know this is something that you're definitely very passionate about, and um, Cole and I are definitely passionate about it too because we work here, <laughs> mm-hmm. and so. Uh, it kind of brings us back to something Phil Lawler said uh, in one of our podcasts Ooh, previously. Yep. Uh, there was a guy who was the head of Focus on the Family, and he said it's not enough to decry the just decry the popular media. You have to have an alternative solution to that. And he said, and it's about time we did that. And that's when you know Adventures in Odyssey was formed. And so being here, and this is something that you've read a lot of different books, Dr. Amy, about you know all these different topics that are like amusing ourselves to death and blue suede shoes and the um, children of a greater God, all these different stories that kind of talk about the importance of literature and what you're filling your mind with the influences that you have. And it's definitely a huge theme of the Bible too. And uh, you, you know what? You've seen, you've seen my library. Yeah. So the library here is pretty much my library. Yeah. And these books, first of all, I'm, I was a really slow reader. I was Mm -hmm. not a good reader. Mm -hmm. But I've had to saturate myself with these books. And God has brought just the right mm-hmm. book at the right the time in my life. But I'm learning. Here, here it is. Ready? Mm-hmm. It's not just the story. Mm. Are you ready for this? This is important. Drum roll. You ready? Okay. It's more. The story is essential. Uh-huh. But what's more essential is in how the story's told. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because the storyteller is the one that is going to influence the morals and the moral decisions of mm-hmm. the child. So I can read a great moral godly story, mm-hmm. but if the child hears me reading it in a way in which I don't believe it or I'm not passionate about it mm. or I'm not in st- it's the way I read the story that tells the child convinces the child that this is so important. Mm. You know, and so the storytellers probably equal to the story itself. Mm. And that's what I do love about the Lamplighter books is that they cause you to – they're not just great stories, but they cause you to actually cause these questions. I was reading Jill's Red Bag to my little brother earlier. Mm, Fun story, isn't it? I've not read it before. This is my first time. So we're in chapter one, and he gets to the end of the chapter, and I was like, well, what did you think? You know, usually we talk after we read a chapter. And he was like, I really like that Jill uh, found the problem, and they fixed it. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, what what problem did Jill find? And he was like, well, the reason that they didn't like Sunday so much was because their mom was, they didn't have a mom. Mm. And I was like, whoa, that's something I didn't even think about, you know, because there were these kids and they were acting up. They were so naughty. And the sister gets annoyed. The nurse gets annoyed and she gets fired. And so then this other lady comes in and she's talking to the kids. They've quieted it down at this point. And she was like, hey, you know, um, what's going on? Like, you know, why, why are you? acting up or whatever and one of the girls was like I really hate Sundays it's the worst and she's like we just kind of get locked up in this room and they just make up these scrapes and crazy adventures that they're having and so as you kind of see it's because the the parents didn't have a mom and because the nurse who or the lady who came in she was saying like hey you know when I was a kid I used to love Sundays like my family would all get together and my mom would sing hymns and we'd all be together and they were like oh well that's it like we don't have that and the lady kind of takes compassion on them at the end and so she takes him downstairs to where the sister is and she's just this party girl she's always having friends over and just like thinking of herself and the kids get locked away and um, she was like hey you know would you like to play the piano for the kids and just sing a couple hymns with them and so the girl's like 
okay, let's let's try this out. This is such a novel idea. So she's sitting at the piano and playing, and she's like, well, why 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 are we doing this? This is kind of strange. And the the nurse explains the situation, and it's you can kind of see this spark in the sister's heart, like, oh, you know, I I didn't realize that they're my siblings are people and they, they, they care mm. about these sorts of things. And it's starting to just the little spirit of conviction starting in her and forming. And it just kind of left me wondering, like, oh, I wonder how this story is going to play out. I wonder what's going to happen to mm. her. And then Johnny's there and he's thinking like, oh, that's why they're sad. That's why they're acting up because there's this deeper thing. And I was surprised he caught that. It was, it was interesting. interesting. You know, Colin, before we get into the giant killer, um, that reminds me that a story without moral tensions, or at least a dramatic pull on one's own values, stories actually become dull. Mm-hmm. You know, so there you there you are with Jill's red bag. Mm-hmm. There's moral tensions in the story, mm-hmm. um, and, and this is true in life. It's as well as on the pages of a book or a mm-hmm. screen. Each life, ready for this? Each life is a story. Mm. Within each story. There are dramatic tensions and moral conflicts in each one of our lives. Uh-huh. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, but the word "story." You guys know where the word "story" comes from? I uh, know. It comes from the Greek word "storia." It's also a Latin word "historia." Mm. Okay, you ever think of that? History got the word "story" in it. Mm. Um, it means learning. And this is key: learning by inquiry, or from history, or a person who knows and sees. They've already been through it. And so this is a child that is going to be asking questions. The stories that we read should always invoke a child's desire to ask questions. Mm. Okay? When you get a child asking questions, now you've got them hooked. Okay? Because now they're like, now they're, that's how learning, mm. that's how convictions develop. That's how a moral worldview starts to develop is through inquiry. Mm. Okay, so this is so this is so good. A child's worldview is shaped through private and public inquiry that is induced primarily in life through stories. Mm. That's why I love what we do here. I mean, we're storytellers. Oh, for sure. Private inquiry. Now, see if you guys can get this. Okay. Private inquiry is intrinsic. If a child's perception of truth as it relates to one's personal story outside of any interaction with others. Okay, let me, let me just say that again. Private inquiry is intrinsic, is intrinsic. It is a child's perception of truth as it relates to one's personal story outside of any interaction with others. You guys get that? Mm-hmm. Okay, t- feed, feed me back. Give me some feedback. What's that saying? Private inquiry is intrinsic. It is a child's perception of truth as it relates to one's personal story, their story, mm-hmm. outside of any interaction with others. Okay, yes. Yeah, so when they're listening to the story, they're having an like intrinsic, so inside of them, they're listening to the story and grappling with what's being told? No, it's the opposite. Private inquiry is a child's perception of truth as it relates to their personal story. So as they live life, they're developing their own worldview just by growing up in a family. They're seeing, they're looking at things, they're watching things, and they're they're developing their own moral worldview just by being in the environments that they're in. They go to school. They're not wrestling with it inside them. You're right. There's not much of a tension in the intrinsic perception of their truth. 
They've got this perception of what is real and what is not real. They don't know whether it's real or whether it's good or healthy. Mm-hmm. It's just their their own personal perception of what truth is to them. It's kind of like Herod saying to Jesus, what is, what is truth? Okay, He had no outside influence telling him what truth was until Jesus finally looks at him and like, he is truth, mm-hmm. you know? So, so let me let me go from intrinsic. This will be more clear to extrinsic. So, extrinsic or public inquiry influences one's worldview through association. So now a child's listening to a story, and now all of a sudden they get to associate what that child or that hero or heroine or bad person is happening in the story. They get to associate what is happening with them to their life story. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like, for example, they learn in the story there are consequences to lying. But they've been lying right along and getting away with it, and they don't have any problem with it. And so in their intrinsic personal, in their personal perception of truth, they're fine with lying. Their personal perception of truth is that if I lie, I don't get punished. But in the book, there's consequences in the story, there's consequences to their lying. So now all of a sudden, they're associating their behavior with something that they're learning for the first time. There's real severe consequences down the road, and it may hurt other people. So now for the first time, there's an association that is actually, it's, it's putting pressure on their wrong mm-hmm. worldview and values. So extrinsic influences are so important. That's where story, stories come in. Generally, public inquiry influences one's worldview by adopting the group's perception of truth. So, so if you're in a group and everyone's agreeing about something, you're probably going to have a child that's going to agree with, that, agree with them. But both private and public inquiry shape a child's worldview, which influences his or her personal story. P- Peter Hunt, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but Peter Hunt in his book, Understanding Children's Literature, expounds on the importance of understanding one's personal story in connection to purpose and meaning. He contends, it is the understanding of one's personal story that purpose and meaning unfold, thus allowing children to apply essential principles to their own lives. Without this connection, children and adults live aimless and purposeless lives. Mm-hmm. Okay, with that said, let's kill our giant of uh, untruth. <laughs> Mark, that's a great segue into the giant killer curriculum. What do you mean? Well, in the giant killer, we have questions. And those questions are meant to teach the child about untruth. So are you guys ready today? So ready. Today, our key verse is going to be Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Mm. So... Next thing we're going to do is we're going to read a segment of the Giant Killer Illustrated book. And I'm going to need Molly and Mark's help on this one. Okay, here we go. My favorite part. Here we go. Giant Untruth. Fides, the great knight, prepared to depart, but conscience had one final warning. There is something you must know before you continue, warned conscience. The Giant Untruth must be struck three times with your sword. But beware, for his favorite victims are those with the most brilliant minds. How can I find him? asked Fides. Hold up your precious sword, and dark shadows will appear on the object that the giant Untruth is hiding behind. Seen from a distance, the castle of Untruth looked like a lordly palace. 
But as Fides drew near, he saw it was an illusion. Inside was darker than night, and bats hung from the rafters. As Fides walked through the castle, he suddenly came upon a large, dimly lit room. No giant alive was as hideous to see as the giant untruth. Meanness, cowardice, and cunning were stamped upon his face. Fides saw the giant for a moment, and then untruth vanished before his eyes as if by magic. Fides slowly crept through the castle, searching for the giant. Many rare valuables were scattered about, but upon closer examination, Fides saw that they were cheap imitations of little value. As he walked forward, his attention was drawn towards an exquisite mask that hung on the wall. Fides held out his sword, and a dull stain appeared on the mask. He swung the sword and split the mask in two. Untruth appeared for a moment, howling in pain, and then vanished once more. The knight began to hunt the giant again. An impressive fur coat caught the knight's eye. Holding his sword up, a dark blot covered the coat. Swiftly, Fides' sword fell. The giant flashed into sight, roaring in pain, and again disappeared. Eager to deliver the final blow, Fides searched and searched, but he could not find the giant. But just as he was about to give up, he noticed a mirror. In it, big things seemed small, and small things seemed big. Before his eyes, he saw his sword grow smaller and his figure stronger and wiser, wiser even than his king. He paused only for a moment before lifting his sword to the mirror. A dark stain crept across the image. Fides swung his sword above his head and let it come crashing down, shattering the mirror into a thousand pieces. Behind the mirror, the giant untruth lay dead on the ground. What an intense battle. Mm-hmm. The giant untruth almost defeated the night Fides. Untruth is so good at hiding that he's almost impossible to spot without the mighty sword. With such a formidable opponent as the giant untruth, it's no wonder we need God's help and God's truth to help us fight the giant of untruth. Wait, what's, what was the reason for him hiding behind the mirror? What's the significance of hiding behind the mirror? The mirror was his perception of himself, mm-hmm. and it, untruth caused him to see his sword, the word of God, as little, and himself Whoa. as big, and himself as wise, and his king, Jesus, as unwise compared to him. Mm. It twisted the truth. Okay, wait a minute. He thinks he's wiser than scripture and he's wiser than God. Mm. Time out. Time out. Molly, Mm -hmm. you got that smirk on your face. What? Yep. Colin, you do too. Okay, so you guys, you, okay, obviously you knew it because you wrote it. Is that also in the book? It's in the book. It's in the book. Yes. So we also have the illustrated version and we have the main book, The Giant Killer. And the audio drama. And the audio drama. Is it in the audio drama too? Yep. I'm not sure. I don't I remember. Think it is. I remember is it? being in there. Really? Okay, so so I'm listening to the story like a little kid. You mm-hmm. know, and, and when I just learned about the mirror showing Fides, you know, untruth was playing tricks on him, you know, making mm-hmm. him see things that weren't really there. Mm-hmm. And making him see the word of God is not really important and mm-hmm. really small. Yeah. And but how did he know that to strike the mirror? Oh, he just he, he knew that, that he was trusted away. the words of conscience, mm. and he knew something was wrong when the king, he was wiser than the king. He knew untruth because he knew his king and he knew the word of God. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is so good. I think that's my favorite part of the story. That's amazing. It's really good. It's really good. Um, she, a lady of England, knows how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how would you do that in like a play? Can you? Yeah, I think you could. Yeah. Yeah, you could. 
Wow, that would be powerful, wouldn't it? That would be cool. The Giant Killer would be a great play. Can wow. you imagine? Can you imagine a summer uh, VBS and making this into a vacation Bible school play week? Yeah, it would, each week, each day, there's a new giant. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be amazing. Whoa, that would be really cool. Yeah, and then each day could be a new giant, like you were saying, and then it, it's very thematically. How many giants are there? Nice. Five. Five giants. Five, five days. Oh, wow. This would be amazing. Yeah. I'd, I, this part, though, is so incredible because that's the way, that's what happens. When you get away from the Word of God and you stop listening to your mm-hmm. conscience, mm-hmm. you start seeing things in ways that God doesn't want you to see them. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, your sight becomes skewed. Um, blessed are the pure in heart. They get to see God. Mm-hmm. The less pure your heart is, the less likely you're going to see things the way God sees them. Mm-hmm. Whoa. And seeing others the way God sees them. That's good. This yeah. is really powerful. Okay. Keep so, going. So, with God's help, we're going to fight falsehood by put away all lying and deceit from our lives. And we're going to learn what the Bible has to say about untruth today. Where did you read that from? I'm reading this from the Giant Killer material. So, are you ready for some questions to challenge you? First question. Wait, wait. Is this the competition that we This get? is the competition. So in a classroom situation, there's going to be kids. The teachers are going to be asking questions. The kids are going to try to... Answer the questions. And every question they get right gives them a card that allows them to play a game at the end to beat the giant. And so they want to collect these cards. And they want to win. And so they want to answer these questions. Full engagement. It's what happens to kids that don't answer the questions? Um, then other kids answer the questions. And at the end, all the kids put their cards together and use their cards. Okay, so everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. And the teacher is going to play the giant. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like a game of chess with two chess pieces. It's going to be fun. It's super fun. I played it with my kids. My kids love it. Really? Yeah, they asked to play it. Cool. So, awesome. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So the giant. Are you going to be the giant or am I going to be the giant? Um, either way. Well, you guys are I'm – I'm asking the questions. And so you you're guys the, are answering. So you're the giant, giant then, right? I'm the giant. You guys are the night five days. Oh, and you are – you are – you are learning God's well, word we're on a team. in order to equip and arm yourselves to fight untruth. We're not mm-hmm. we're not going to compete so, against each other. We are right now. You can answer questions. Whoever answers questions gets a card. So you can compete to get. Oh, a we're card. on the same team though. Yes. All okay. right. So in Proverbs fourteen, chapter five. Yes. <laughs> an honest witness does not deceive, but a false witness witness pours out what lies. lies. Yes. Yeah, good job, Bob. <laughs> okay, the next one is, ex- is is very tricky because the giant untruth is the most deceptive. Mm. I put a very tricky question in this. Ooh. Are you ready? Yeah, we're ready. I don't know. Does right. the Bible contain a lie? Yes. Mm, I don't know. I mean, no. It's the a Bible, yes or no question. The Bible does not contain a lie. I believe it does. I mean, like, if you're talking about really literal, it contains stories of lies and it talks about lies. Yeah. So it contains a lie, but yeah. nothing in the Bible is untrue. It doesn't. It, the Bible doesn't uh, um, promote lying, but the Bible does have people in it that lie. So the yes. answer is yes. Yay. And it records the very first lie in Genesis chapter 3, God really verses say? 1 through 4. And who is the first person to lie in recorded history? The serpent. Yes. The Good serpent. Job. And who does he lie to? Eve. Eve. What did he say? So the question is, in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 4, the serpent said that something would not happen. You will Will not not die. die. Yes. Absolutely. And so I've got another one for you here. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 9 
or verses 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, chapter 16 through 19 says, What are haughty eyes? What does it mean to have haughty eyes? To be prideful, right? Yes, to be prideful. And what else does God hate besides for haughty eyes? Sowing discord among brethren. Oh, yeah, li- okay. a lying tongue. We're talking tongue. about body parts. A lying oh. tongue. Eyes and? Oh. oh, feet that run to shed blood. Mouth that speaks lies. Yes, a tongue that breathes out lies. <laughs> yes, that's what God hates. Okay, so we have another question he here. Are you ready? listen very well because I said it already twice. You said it twice. Mark gets the point. <laughs> He's very competitive. In John, John chapter 1, verse 14, who... Was full of grace and truth. Jesus. Jesus. Yes. Sorry. Mark is looking like these are easy. Mark, these are these questions are for kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Okay. But I was thinking about that. How are you going to prepare the kids for these questions? Because they, some of them are going to know Genesis. You know, um, the questions I'm giving you are modified for adults. They're a little bit easier in the actual giant killer mm-hmm. material. I know that, but don't you think the teacher should teach? He does. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to tell the teacher that stop and take these opportunities to talk about these things. But I genuinely believe that the way the Bible is supposed to be taught is is by asking questions. Mm. And kids asking, little Jewish kids asking the rabbi, 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 yeah. why this? And the rabbi explains it to them. Well, like we said earlier, getting a child to ask questions yes. by telling the story well mm. is yes. what is going to impress upon their conscience, mm-hmm. yep. their conscience. It's a brilliant thing to be learning and not realize it. Isn't it great? It's like mm-hmm. working here. You know, you, it doesn't feel like I've worked a day since I've gotten here. And I think learning, it when it's most effective, at least in my life, is when I'm not thinking about it as learning. <laughs> mm. You know, it's interesting. I was attending a class in my doctoral courses. And um, it was a notorious course where it kind of like weeded out, you know, the sheep from the goats, mm. where I'd, I'd say at least 20, 30 percent quit after this course after this course and i remember t- i took it the first year and i got a b minus and i was fine with that just getting out of that course was you know don't I, in fact i used to say it's the closest thing i've ever experienced about hell and i was glad it was over but then you know i i i remember the professor saying to me you need to take this course again because it's going to help you with your dissertation and i said i'm never taking that course again whoa and he said well he goes, I think that you need to take the course again. I'm like, I'm not going to take it. He goes, okay. He goes, I'm going to make it mandatory. You're going to take it. Whoa. I'm like, you can't do that. I mean, I already passed the course. You can't, Colin, they can't do that, right? Oh, uh, well, I mean, they can do anything they want in their That's their what course. he told me. They can. And I'm thinking like. It's the Wild West out there in those PhD programs. <laughs> you, know, really so I, you know what I told him? I said, well, forget you. I'll go, I'll go to another school. Whoa. I only only had to finish my dissertation. Yeah. I had all my credits. I, I'll go to Harvard. I'll go to Yale. I'll go to Princeton. I'm going somewhere else. I'm not going. I'm not going to come here. Yeah. And um, he goes, that's fine. And then he's like, he's going to play my bluff. So eventually, I had to give in, and I had to go take that course again. Hmm. And it was like, no way. And the first time I took it, I got a B minus, but I did not understand it. Mm. It was quantitative and qualitative. And phenomenological research, mm. just the title mm-hmm. can scare you. Oh, totally. And uh, Sounds like something the Ghostbusters would <laughs> <laughs> so, so I took the course, 
I get a B minus, and I'm like, I'm out of here. And and people, I remember people crying in the course. Okay, Whoa. these are adults; they're crying in the course. Yep. <clears throat> so now I got to take it again two years later, <laughs> and uh, and I'm in there in the same thing. New group of students. These are 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds, and I'm looking at like men and women crying in this course, and uh, and I'm and it's not clicking. I'm not getting it. And I remember asking a question, and um, the professor answers, and it didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. So I mm-hmm. went and talked to him afterwards. I asked him more questions in his office. And again, right over my head, uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not getting it. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I'm like, okay, I'm, I've got I've to get at least a B. Mm-hmm. So the next day in class, I ask another question. And it's kind of embarrassing because, you know, you're in a PhD type of program, yeah. you know, and, and if you're asking these questions, you look like a junior hire. You know, like, you know, can you, you know, I got another question. But I was like, I got to ask these questions, you know, and and I asked this one question and I understood the answer. It was the first time mm. in the whole course I understood the answer. And then this other guy behind me, he goes, he goes, wait, wait, wait. He goes, would you say that again, please? And he's, the professor says it again. And he goes, well, that's really simple. And, uh, and it was as a result of the question that I asked. I'm like, wait a minute. If that's right, then this also is right. And we went right down the line like, well, this makes sense here, 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 and here. And he goes, yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you guys. And like, we're like, well, you've been trying to tell. You've been speaking like French to us. You know, you, We don't understand a word you're saying, but that made sense. It was the question that caused everyone in the class to get it for the first time. Not only did I get it, but it transformed my dissertation, and I was able to finish it, got an A in the course, and then was able to uh, finish the dissertation. And it was a result of asking questions in a really difficult course. The professor wasn't giving us straight answers until finally you just kind of like said, just spell this out for me. Mm. And he did, and we got it. Mm. So according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, what are we now supposed to do that we put away falsehood? Speak the truth. Oh, speak the truth. Yes. Okay. Another one. In John chapter 8, verse 44, there's a father and his children. Who's the father and who's the children? What? In John, chap- <laughs> John chapter 8, verse 44, there's a father uh-huh. and children. Who is the father and who are the children? Um, in John? John chapter 8? John chapter 8, this is 44. John chapter 8? I think okay. I've stumped you. No, 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 no. Yeah. John chapter 8. Oh, wow. I'm proud of myself. I've stumped you. <laughs> father and children. Yeah, um, it's not. Is it God? No, no. And huh. don't don't tell me. I'll get it. Um, Abraham. No. Is it a guy who's in the Old Testament? I thought it was yeah. Jesus was talking about Abraham. It's someone we've already talked about. Jacob. No. We haven't talked Isaac. about Jacob. We talked about. Can you give Ooh, us multiple this stories? is like the this is like untruth. <laughs> it's like the mirror scene right here. You guys, this is like untruth. You guys are oh, like, man. oh no! It's like you're struggling to see the truth. No, we'll oh, see. this is wonderful. Oh, is it sword drill again? Okay, John chapter eight, verse forty-four. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and Deceptive the father question. of it. He's the father oh, this is such of a good all question, lies. Because he would be the father of lies. Oh, good job, Colin. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Ah, uh, yes. 
<laughs> Very deceptive question. Oh, I told you it was tricky. I did forewarn you. We had the sword of truth. There was no deception because in the beginning I said I was going to be tricky. It sort of slayed you. <laughs> okay, according to Colossians chapter he 3. He slayed us with that question. What are we supposed to do no longer since we've taken off our old stuff with its old practices? Put off the old man. What, since we put off the old man, put on the new man. We're not supposed to do what to each other? No longer lie to one another. Lie to one another. Yeah. Ch- yes. So we have one more question. Ready? Mm-hmm. In First John, chapter one, verse eight. What do we do if we have no sin? We if we say we have no sin, we, we lie, lie, and the truth we is not in us. Oh, good and job. The truth is not in us. All right. Well. Now we have completed the board. We have completed the questions. Now, okay, we're going to use a little bit of imagination and some sound effects, and we're going to play the giant killer board game. Ready? I'm so ready. Here we go. Okay, what a battle. What an epic battle, Molly. I've got to be honest. For a second there, I did not think the Night Fridays, a.k.a. you guys, we're going to kill it's the It's true. It was all of Mark's cards that caused us to win. What makes Untruth so dangerous and such a dangerous opponent is that he disguises himself mm. as truth and he tricks us. Mm-hmm. Mm. We have to constantly be on our guard to fight lies and dishonesty and deceit in our own lives. Okay, time out. I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah, you can do it. Colin, have you lied this year? I have. Yeesh. I am a liar, and I Oof. confess it. Okay, time out. Molly? Yeah? Have you lied this year? Mm-hmm. Molly? Seriously? I'm, I'm, I'm really happy. Mark, have you lied to Molly? <laughs> oh. oh, man. That's a tough one. Oh, dear. Okay, i got to answer this. This is important. Oh. This is, this is very important. Wow. I do not believe that I have lied to you. Mm. Yeah. I have Wait, ask me if I've lied. Oh, have what? you lied? This year. This, this year? year? Boy, I, I'm really sorry. I, I, I would like to say yes, but I, I, I don't know that I have. Ooh. Oh, I know, and the truth is not in me if that's not true. I mean, uh-huh. this is a terrible moment. Oh, no. I mean, okay, I lied, but I don't, re- I don't but remember But what if you're lying. lying about lying and you didn't lie, I now you're lying about remember. lying? Okay, but let me, let me back up. Let what me about back if up. you say something with the best of intentions but don't follow through? Is that lying? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. So, oh. <laughs> now Mark's pinned. She's got him. Wow. Good job, Molly. Molly going okay. for the throat okay. on that one. Okay. <laughs> okay. I've lied. <laughs> oh. oh. That is so mean. Oh, well, Molly. Okay. That's oh. what you're my friend. I am so, your friend. I, that's why you have to speak the truth full, in love. Full Here. disclosure. Uh, I So I, was, I don't know if the story is going to be in the podcast or not, but mm-hmm. um, this last year, I was feeling really down. I was feeling really out, and I needed like a me day. Mm. But I'm a parent, and my wife and I are really involved with the kids, so I pretended to be sick <laughs> to get a me day, oh, like no. a spa day, oh, where no. I treated myself, and I got a bath bubble, bath bomb, mm-hmm. and I got all this stuff, mm-hmm. and a book I wanted to read. <laughs> and you know what happened? Hmm. I, I got this wonderful day to myself. But you know what happened the next day? Uh-huh. My wife said she was sick. <laughs> oh. And she got the day to herself. Oh, oh dear. We should have just been honest and said right? we needed a day off. <laughs> it worked. But it did. It worked. <laughs> so I grew up as a born liar, mm. as we all are. Yeah. Okay? I think so. But I lied so much in my early years of childhood that 
By the time I got to be eight, nine, ten years old, I began to believe my lies. Mm. Mm. You know, so that's really bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget one time, it got so bad that I remember lying to make my friends think I was someone I wasn't. Mm. You know, and so when I would get, I'll never forget this one time. I must have been around nine, ten years old, maybe ten. No, that's a little old, probably eight or nine. I remember going to Tom and Kevin's house. They were playing under the tree with their Tonka toys in the sand, sand under the tree. It was a big, huge pine tree. And uh, and I was just, it was Saturday morning. I'm going down there to play with these guys. You know, we lived all in the same block. So we can just cross yards and get to each other's houses. And I remember going there thinking like, I needed to make this a little bit more high stakes, emotional entrance. Mm. You know, I don't know why, mm. but it was just, some kids are like that. They just like to fabricate and exaggerate life, mm. you know, to make them a bigger part of the story. And here I am today, what am, what am I? I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. God was preparing me to be a storyteller, but mm-hmm. he wanted me to be a truthful storyteller. So he had to do a lot of work in my life. So I'm, I'm, I'm eight or nine years old, and within probably 50 yards, my mind starts swirling, and I start running for my life. And I get to them, and I'm going like, he's he's after me, he's after me, Tony's after me. You know, and there's this there was this mentally ill person in our community. Mm-hmm. His name was Tony. And kids used to make fun of him all the time. And it was thought that Tony carried a knife with him, mm-hmm. you know? And so I manufactured that moment. And I get to Tom and I remember mm-hmm. diving, sliding, like you're sliding at third base, mm-hmm. sliding in under the pine tree, like, guys, he's after me, he's after me, you know? And then all of us started running, mm-hmm. you know? And, and uh, I remember we ran into Kevin's house and there was Mr. Winans. You know, and I'm thinking like, oh, no, you know, his dad is involved. I'm like, I didn't want it to get this far. Mm -hmm. You know, so now his dad's going to go out there and see if if Tony's around. And and then he's got to call my mom. Now my mom's got to come and pick me up. And like Mm -hmm. it ruined the whole day Mm -hmm. because of this stupid lie, right? Snowballs. Mm -hmm. So a year later, now I'm 10 or 11. And who do I see? I'm walking down the same street to the same house with my friends who are now older. Mm. And who do I see? Tony. Tony. Mm. And Tony's on the other side of the street. Now, the kids in the community always call him Tony Baloney. And whenever they do that, he gets really irate. He starts talking to himself and he starts cursing and swearing and he just gets really, really mad. And uh, But that's about it. Mm -hmm. So... I would, was taught better than that. Mm-hmm. But because of my nature of wanting to make things seem bigger than they really were and to get my friends to think I was someone that I was not, I thought I would take the risk of calling them Tony Baloney. Mm. But usually when kids did it, they were in groups and Tony didn't bother them. Ooh. I say it. I'm on the other side of the street and Tony starts chasing me. Oh. And now I'm running for my real life. Whoa. And guess what? Hmm. Tom and Kevin aren't there to protect me, nor is Whoa. Mr. Winans. And I'm like, and I'm running, I'm running as fast, I'm a little kid, right? Yeah. I'm running as fast as I can. And I remember running through the backyards, you know, Whoa. running, jumping over the fence and running to my house. And Tony's right behind me. And I get to my house, open the door and go in there. And Tony's right there at the door and he comes in the house. <gasps> And my mom is there and my aunt is there and Tony is freaking out, you know, and he's got enough mental sense to tell them exactly what I did. 
And my mom takes me, and she gets the belt out, and she lets Tony see me get the biggest whipping of my life. And it satisfies him. And boy, did I learn a lesson that day Mm. that my deceitful nature can really cause consequences more than I dreamed possible. And that was a turning point. I think it was a turning point in my life to, Mark, let's let's ratchet this down a few notches, you know. Mm. You don't always have to make things, you know, so fabricated that Mm -hmm. you're drawing attention to people's lives. And so that was, as an unsaved kid, that was a really, really huge lesson. You know, and and, uh, I wish I had been a Christian during that time because I probably would have tried to be a friend of Tony's, Mm -hmm. you know, and stick up for him, you know, during during those times. But I didn't have any moral sense during that time. And it wasn't until I got saved at 22 years old. Now, picture this. You go through life as a liar. You know, Mm -hmm. those things just don't leave you. You know, you're you are who you are. Your character is pretty much intact, you know. So I have a deceitful nature. Even though now I'm a Christian and God's transforming me, I still have a tendency to over-exaggerate and to lie. So I'll never forget, I'm in ministry now, and I say something to my senior pastor that is a lie. You put pressure on me and back me into a corner, you know, and make me not look good, and I'm going to lie. And I did, and but God convicted me. Now God's dealing with me and speak the truth, lie not, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So now I've got to practice the putting off and putting on. And so I, I go to my senior pastor and I said, hey, I'm, I got to just talk to you and I just level with you. I, I lied to you. I, I, I just want to come clean and ask for your forgiveness. And I'll never forget what he told me. He goes, well, thank you for the apology. He goes, but... I don't think I can trust you again. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, that that was like, you know, putting a little bit of coals on the fire. Mm. But it was all right because God knew that I needed a little bit more pressure. Mm-hmm. Mark, this isn't going to get over quickly. Mm-hmm. You're going to have – this is a lifelong battle. You know, and even today, here I am, I've been in ministry for 40 years. Even today, you know I have a tendency to exaggerate. Believe it or not, my exaggerations, though – I think they're real. And so God has always got to kind of like put a little pressure on me like, did that really happen the way you just said it? And I got to leave things like, okay, maybe there, maybe it wasn't. I got to make things right. Mm-hmm. You got to come clean. You got to be pure of heart or God will not allow you to really be blessed the way he wants to bless you. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, we always have to be constantly be on our guard mm-hmm. against dishonesty in our own lives. Mm-hmm. Lies that seem small and unimportant can grow and ruin our lives. Mm. This week, oh wow, wow, the mirror, the mirror, the lies mm-hmm. will seem really, really tiny and small in that mirror, and they'll grow, and the conscience becomes less and less effective. Yes, but when you get to see them from God's perspective, those lies are huge. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, this week. Let's all try our best not to lie and to tell the truth no matter what the consequences are. Mm. Mm. So, Molly, if we had to sum all of this up, this is, I think this is one of my favorites. Mm. This was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks, Colin, for, um, for writing this amazing curriculum mm-hmm. and, um, and sharing it with us because it, it really – it's enjoyable. I think kids are going to have a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Molly, if there was something that we can end this with, this uh, take-home thought, what would it be? 
Well, you kind of mentioned earlier in the podcast, we kind of started off with the importance of books that speak truth. And obviously the word of God is the number one thing with that. So I kind of liked how we started off with that. And then we kind of went on this journey of what does untruth look like in kind of a creative way. But then just to kind of cycle back around and think about how sometimes um, it's hard to speak the truth to yourself. And so uh, you always use the grass seed analogy. And if you've got a garden with a lot of weeds in it, don't just go out and always be pulling the weeds. Like one of the most effective things you can do is to throw grass seed on it. Mm -hmm. And so that grass seed is kind of like the truth. And so if, you know, you struggle with those lies or, or, that you're thinking either in your mind or are tempted to say, like, just fill your mind with truth and let that be what you're meditating on. Molly, that's a great concept. I forgot about that concept. Yeah. So, so moms and dads and anyone that's listening, um, don't be a weed puller. You, you mm-hmm. can't try to change your children's character by pulling weeds. What you have to do is keep planting more seeds. Mm-hmm. And the more seeds, that's how you get good grass in your yard, not by pulling the weeds out. But, by, but the, the grass, healthy grass, will weed out the weeds. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and um, there's a few books, Molly, that I think would be really helpful to our listeners. Um, one of them is um, Helen's Temper. Mm-hmm. Um, Helen Lies and another girl is um, going to be really hurt by her lies. Another great book, Molly, is Tom Watkins' Mistake. That might be one of our best books on lying. Mm-hmm. Um, parents, read that one to your children as well as there are two others that I had thought of. Uh, clean your boots, sir. Oh, that's, see, that deals with the opposite. That's the, a little boy who won't tell a lie. Mm, that's good. Yep. And then Hand on the Bridle, Junior High Kids that are having a difficult time telling the truth. That's an excellent. That's one of my favorite stories. we got to do that in audio drama. Yeah, agreed. That'd yep. be a great audio. What's another one? Uh, we've got True to the Last. True to the Last. Another one, Speaking the Truth. He, he's willing to take the consequences and stick to the raft he's unwilling to lie. Yeah. There's a lot of great books. So let's let's go over them again. First one was Helen's Temper. King Jack. King Jack. Tom Watkins' Mistake. Tom Watkins' Mistake. Clean Your Boots, Sir. Clean Your Boots. True to the Last. True to the Last. Hand on the Bridle. Hand on the Bridle. Sir, Knight of the Splendid Way for older students. You know, another one that we never talk about, and it's one of our bestsellers, is Ishmael. Ishmael refuses to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got teenagers and you're looking for books that will hold and grasp their heart and attention, um, these are great books. Um, you can call us toll-free, 1-888, the letter A, gospel. That's 888-246-7735. Call for a free catalog. And any of our, our reps here, they'll guide you and tell you what books would be the best books that are needed for certain character traits that you're looking to develop in your children or for just great family reading like George did with his family and mm-hmm. created a whole neighborhood reading time Friday nights. Yeah. Popcorn and books. Let's do it. Yeah, Colin, great. do you have a verse that you're going to close with? Well, our, our verse for the day. Does anyone remember a verse for the day? Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, oh. having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, mm. for we are members of one another. Ooh, that's beautiful. That's good. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, Molly. And we'll mm-hmm. look forward to doing this again with our next giant. Giant the, hate. The giant hate. Giant of hate. You've been listening to Fastened Like Nails, a presentation of Lamplighter Ministries. Our mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ-like character one story at a time. To learn more about our family collection of rare books, dramatic audios, or guild programs, visit lamplighter.net.
To hear more podcasts, search for Fastened Like Nails wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a question you would like to submit for the Lamplighter team, visit FastenedLikeNails.net and fill out the form. That's FastenedLikeNails.net.